Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the studio at the college, joined by Mike. Um, Peter and Ben, I don't think even replied to the invitation. I don't, do they even exist anymore? I'm not sure. The episodes do show up. So if they don't exist, someone's take. What if Amy's just taking it over? Well, I was going to say, maybe Amy has, I mean, fill in the blank here. Yeah. Like, I hope Peter's okay. Either covering for him, as a loving wife would do, or oh. covering for herself. That could be. I mean. Oh, I hope he's all right. He was always a nice guy, Peter was. He's a very nice guy. Pretty talented, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're missing Peter and Ben, but the two of us are gathered here. And uh, on a day when I was reminded uh, just how bad the Lions are and just how bad they are without Matt Stafford. Mm-hmm. Um, Packers are playing right now. I believe they're up by eight against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Kent Schaff, a friend of the show who has been a guest, I understand has a pretty big bet riding on this for their school. Um, <laughs> He's Carolina, right? Yeah. yeah, he is Carolina. So I'm wishing him all the best, but it's not looking good at the moment. We are going to have a little bit of a, an odd episode today, or it may at least seem odd to some of you. Not necessarily a theological episode, although we may bring in some theology, but I have... Hanging on my bulletin board, a uh, pick a variety of things. Uh, a gorilla smoking a cigarette. Um, you being, um, well, being introduced to the Bishop of Detroit. Oh my! That was my first cool. uh, first Holy Communion, where he said I was going to be a priest. So he was close, but but wrong. But but very cool. He had the Bishop you, Moses Anderson, the first African American bishop. And you're wearing his beanie. Yep, he put that's, it on me because I was going to be a priest. He said you should get that in color. Yeah, I have it in color somewhere. I just uh, it nice. didn't print color up here on the floor, but uh, I've got some authors, David Foster Wallace, Orwell, Kierkegaard. And then in the corner, and Mike recognized it, um, I have Foucault and Chomsky, a picture from their debate together. And Kerry Keene, our physicist, and, and I run a apologetic summer course with him, was up here meeting with me, and, and he pointed it out as well, and that's what got me going. And he recognized him then? Yeah, he... he I, yeah, he's he said he had re-listened to that debate recently, and so like, I wonder I what uh, you're kind of massaging that table there, Mike. You okay? I'm just nervous. Okay, <clears throat> the uh, um, I wonder what he thinks about Chomsky because Chomsky has a lot of um, libertarian sympathies, you know. Both of these authors, philosophers, we should say, say some really interesting things. Where I think if you come with an open mind, you're like, yeah, yeah, and then they say stuff. You're like, whoa, that's not good yeah so but interesting guys and so this debate is actually an interesting one to watch uh it's about an hour 15 i think on youtube i rewatched it today um if peter is alive or amy if you're listening um we'll include that link to uh youtube in the uh we gotta get the right one because not all of them have english subtitles I think you can just turn the subtitles on for most of them. Can though. you do it? Okay. Well, but we'll, we'll try to one that one has bracketed subtitles. Um, it's a debate that was hosted by the Dutch. So there's like these interludes with the Dutch guys commenting. <laughs> um, and then Chomsky's going to speak in English and Foucault is going to speak in French. So subtitles are, are super helpful. Um, but an interesting debate and not one that we necessarily would be looking to, to, uh, Discover for us as theology professors at a Lutheran college um, what is truth, but I think very helpful for elucidating. Um, as you said, there's stuff they, they say where you might go, I don't know about that. But it is um, some interesting insight into the pursuit of truth or what is truth or how does 
um, truth and language especially operate. So if you want to watch that, we will, uh, Peter or Amy will put the, uh, the link in the show notes and, uh, and then you can check that out. Otherwise, Mike, why don't you go ahead and get us to our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employees. To be honest, much of the time... Employers. We don't have any employees. We don't have any yet? No, you keep saying you're going to get us a student worker, but it hasn't happened yet. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, our employers, or someday our employees. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Hello and welcome back. Our free-for-all today is going to be... um, the highs and lows of our past semester. So kind of maybe pick one thing that was really a bummer and one thing that was really good uh, this past semester. Do you want to start or do you want me to? Sure. And we said it doesn't have to be school related, right? We're just using semester as a measurement of time. I would say the low point um, would be that we had no fall whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, The leaves began to turn and then we set a record with it. Was it seven inches of snow on Halloween? No, we didn't have that much. Uh, some places had so at least seven, I think, but, yeah. well, we had at least four, I would bet. Yeah. Um, so I would say that we had no fall. We kind of didn't really get to have much of a end of October or any true early November. So, but wait, Thanksgiving and Christmas will probably be like 60 degrees. <laughs> um, but I would say, uh, that would be the case. I didn't wa- did not want to be shoveling as soon as we were. Um, I would say high point would be, uh, getting to, um, go present or be a part of uh, um, three conferences in September and October in Florida and then two in California. It's always good to get out, um, see people, meet new people, um, and to have a month where people actually care about what I do, um, which is always the time around the Reformation. So that Mm -hmm. would be uh, the two big things. If I can throw in one that's a related note, it, it happened before the semester, but I would say being up, walking around, riding a bike now, um, and being able to, to do some exercise to, to try to be less fat. Um, you might have noticed, Matt, Mike, I've, I've gotten a little fat. Oh, I think you look great. Well, thank you. But um, but uh, I would say my, my knee healing up um, probably better than expected has been a, a big plus, too. Um, yeah, okay. So my high, I guess, uh, teaching a new class, History of Christianity, has been a lot of fun. Um already thinking about all the things that I've messed up and how I'm going to do it better, of course. Well, that's part of the fun of teaching a class, yeah. So I already started buying books. um, For the next time that I teach that, like, this would be a better textbook kind of thing. Um, So that's been a lot of fun. I, I, as you know, I teach a lot of freshmen and the freshmen that come in that maybe don't have always the religious background, which is really a lot of fun, but it's also good for me to have at least one course where I get juniors and seniors. Uh, you know, so that's been that's been fun, and they've been good to me, knowing that I'm. This is my first go around, and so they've been pretty respectful to me. I'm not happy with the way I'm teaching Pauline epistles. That's been a low really? for me. I wanna, 
I want to read. I want to rethink that. Um, I taught that in J term, and so that was like, you know, a lot of students are pretty aggressive, you know. And it's twelve classes, four hours a day. Yeah, and and so they're they're into it, and just had a great time uh, for my first go around. And this time, I mean, not that the students were bad or anything, but a lot of sophomores. Um, and I uh, didn't really feel like I've taken them to the next step, you know. So uh, I got to rethink some of that. I think I'm going off too much. But I really, I like that. And you, you said something when I first got here, too, that that's maybe one of the courses that you feel okay being a little preachy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the goal finally is that they walk away knowing that there's two kinds of righteousness, and I don't really care if they, yeah. <laughs> you know. Can, it's kind of hard not to be, because you have, like, an epistle text before you're every day. What are you going to do? And so you have kind of an excuse to say, okay, here's the deal, right? This is not just an academic exercise. This is something different. So I, I don't know. I get off on tangents, and I shouldn't, and that kind of stuff. So That's 99% of my teaching. Right. Really. Mine, too. And. Um, but if I was a, maybe just a little, and the other thing is the organization. So I don't, I have that Tuesday, Thursday blocks. It's just yeah, too much. And I don't like Tuesday, Thursdays. So for that, I would like to, if the schedule Those allows. classes for listeners are, they're 80 minutes instead of 50. Which I like for worship. I like for apologetics. I like for my history type classes. That's fine. But to engage it's a text, the biblical, yep. it's hard. And so I think we'll be helpful. And I would be more organized if I had a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I went Monday, Wednesday, Friday with yeah. that one when I'm teaching. Yeah. You know. And the other thing, too, is so you you start off with whatever, uh, Pauline Epistle, and you want to talk about everything. And then the by the time you get to... First and Second Thessalonians, which I put at the end. I think you maybe put at the front. I go chronologically yeah. with them, yeah. So um, well, I've already talked a lot about these things, and so I think I need to adjust, like, save your bullets. You don't need to talk about grace and peace, the, you know, how that is different. That greeting, that classical Greek greeting of the letter is different for Paul. I could have saved that for Second Thessalonians yeah. instead of cramming it all in and not doing... Galatians, for example, justice and stuff. So I think to be fair though that that class is there's very few classes that I think are better in the J term setting. Yeah. But I will say I've enjoyed Pauline more in the J term setting than the semester because the the four hours a day, the intensive approach, I just feel like they get to immerse themselves mm -hmm. more in the text, um, and they get more of a sense for Paul and his theology than in the semester format where it's twice a week. Yeah. And they're in all kinds of other classes, and it's just kind of hard to keep that momentum going. So I, I, I would say that's one that still has a semester I enjoy, but it's harder to organize in a way that, that they don't lose the train of thought, and they can really, um, in an immersive way, get a feel for, I mean, Lutheran theology is Pauline theology. There's there's no yeah. way around it. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that especially Tuesday, Thursday is hard. Yeah, I, uh, you know, so that, and then also I grilled out last night, and um, I opened up the grill, and there was mice in there. Seriously? So that was a that was a downer. What did you do, like bleach it out or something? And, well, I well I killed one. The other one got away. How'd you kill it? Um, I happened to have a. I was also scraping ice, so I had like this big scraper right oh, there, geez. and I. You can imagine what I did. That's pretty savage. You it didn't was. think about just like letting it out? Um, no, because um, I knew it would try to get into the house. So I had a cover on the grill. Yeah. And in, inside. I don't think I could. I don't know that I've ever 
killed an animal directly. Like I've set out a trap, but I don't know that I have it in me to. You know, so I've been I've been actually at war too. This is another low point with chipmunks. The chipmunks are were eaten at the foundation and almost got into the house, and so I started trapping. I couldn't kill them, so I would take them like a few miles away across You're the You're not freeway. bringing them in my yard at night, are you? No, I, I should have. That would have been a good prank. <laughs> that would have been great, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't have figured it out either, and I would have kept complaining about them. <laughs> and, and you could have just, it would have been like my business cards. You could have yeah. just enjoyed it inside. Yeah. And then I, 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 real, I looked it up, and they can, like, they can make their way home like five, ten miles. Mm. So I was going to spray paint them and see if the ones were still coming back. Now they have buried themselves into the retaining wall and not the house. And Jeez. so I'm just going to let them have their winter and then figure out what to do next time. Yeah. We used to get moles a lot Ugh. in Saginaw, but that I did use a mole. Tra- so I did kill them, but yeah. I didn't kill them. A trap killed them. Yep. I just happened to set the trap. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm starting to get a little aggravated. So that's been a downfall too. So. Uh-huh. It is what it is. All right. Well, that's been our exciting life lately. So right. I guess with that, we can probably make our way to the main topic. Michel Foucault is a French philosopher, uh, now deceased, um, probably well known for uh, being a post, postmodern philosopher, I suppose we could categorize him that. Madness. A father of, or very important influencer of postmodernity. I, Foucault himself would probably dislike any right. characterizations. Madness and Civilization, probably his most famous book, would you consider? Um, in the history of sexual, uh, is it history of sex or history of sexuality? I've got the three volumes, I've read them there in my office, but I, I should have yeah. grabbed them as well. Noam Chomsky, uh, an American, born in Philadelphia to Jewish parents, um, was a professor at this time uh, at uh, MIT, and uh, probably leans more toward the modern side rather than the postmodern side. I think I he's think definitely representative of modernity. We why, well, probably why these two were, were um, debating. So they were, they were fairly young at this time, at least Chomsky was. I can't remember his Foucault's dates, but um, Chomsky's still alive, I believe, right? Yes, he is. And so uh, he's still he's, writing. He's controversial, um, but an interesting character. So um, their debate was technically on... The nature of humanity. And Chomsky makes the point that one of the things that makes us uniquely human is the desire and the ability to be creative. And he doesn't really get a chance to explore that too much in the debate. The debate's kind of eh, until about halfway through, and then they start making it practical when it comes to. See, I like the early politics. part, but. Um, it, it's, it, it, it gets a little bit more, they actually are debating and saying, I disagree right. with this. And so, and Foucault would probably be, would we describe him as post, post-structuralist? So, um, the, instead of looking at the world and at humanity in these underlying structures, um, he would take a different tact um, and talk about grids on top of grids. 
right? And that we can't necessarily trust these structures. And when it comes to the political, then maybe just a little bit more, Chomsky's going to be quite, from probably our point of view, quite liberal in saying there is definitely oppression in an institutional sense in a lot of different places. Um, but he says, you don't just throw out the structure. And I'm putting words in his mouth here, where Foucault would probably lean more towards get rid of the whole thing. Is that fair? That's an oversimplification, but do you think that's fair? Um, I think an interesting, I will say, I think the creativity point is one that's interesting um, for us, Mike, with what we've done, um, because that does get to image of God and Genesis and, and what is the image of God. But I don't know whether we'll come back there later. I would say the biggest difference would be Chomsky sees um, society as a collection of um, individuals. And so Chomsky has a lot of libertarian leadings. Um, I think he calls himself an anarcho-syndicalist. Um, that you should have this free association of mm -hmm. individuals. You should give the individual the right to flourish. And um, Foucault is going to see... Uh, the grids um, possibility of truth is limited by the grid or the structure in which you find yourself. And so I think Foucault is almost entertained by Chomsky's notions of the individual and individual creativity. So he pokes fun of our looking at someone like Isaac Newton and wondering what were the dates when Isaac Newton did this and mm -hmm. um, what did he have for lunch on this day? Um, and he sees rather these changing grids that shift um, is being able to produce, um, if we can say truth. Um, but I think that's also going to be a big difference between the two men of what they mean by, by truth. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, would it be fair to say, um, that Chomsky's, uh, Jewish heritage, I think pushes him a little bit to the, the creative nature of humanity. I, I think there's something to be said that human beings are creative in their, their nature. I don't know, I, I, I've only read a little bit of Chomsky and, so, and, and not to this point that he would make a direct line between the image of God, I don't think he would. No, no. Yeah. Um, but it's just kind of in the, it's just kind of in there, which probably Foucault would say, well, this is your structure. Of course right. you're going to say this. Right. This is your structure. This is your Judeo-Christian history or whatever. Although that's not fair to Chomsky and Foucault. I wouldn't say that. But I, I think you can understand that Foucault is saying you have this grid. Right. And Foucault pretty you, much does say that. Yeah, too. you have yeah. this structure. When justice comes up, that's Yeah, you have this structure that uh, leads you to start to say what you want to say. I really like Chomsky at the end of this debate by saying, you know, I, you can't just throw every structure out and say that it's wrong. Right. Right. I mean, that, that's just not fair. It's not, it's not nuanced enough. And uh, that's why it piqued my interest in this present contemporary scene in America, because you, it's so easy just to go down that road to say, well, this thing has something bad with it. Therefore we should completely boycott it. It's completely corrupt completely throw it away and I, I don't find that very always very helpful I think it's just it's just a cheap way to justify our self-righteous indignation yeah I would say you know if, if um, I think your appraisal there with Chomsky is pretty fair I would say that um, Foucault would say that Chomsky is a child of his Judeo-Christian heritage um, even though he's 
you know, rejected many of the mm-hmm. religious aspects of it. Um, but I would th- think that he would also say that Chomsky is an unabashed American. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason for that is Chomsky seems to really see in the Bill of Rights things that enshrine truths about human beings, um, um, the dignity of the individual, um, these uh, that, that society should cultivate the ability of the individual um, to flourish, uh, to try to penetrate deeper into a truth that he does see <clears throat> as there, right? Chomsky is a linguist by training, um, and he does so in a scientific way. Um, and so over in Generac, when they're studying biology or chemistry, they're trying to get at truths, at laws of nature, at, um, at foundational things that they believe can be discovered through experimentation um, <clears throat> and exploration. And I think Foucault would say there are things you can find through that, and there are things that are helpful, but your approach and what you're looking for can't be separated from the grid, is the term he uses in the debate. Um, but from the culture, the society, the mechanisms of oppression and of um, favoritism that have produced you. So um, I think, you know, it would be fair to say Isaac Newton found what Isaac Newton found because of where he was when he was. And Einstein had to be where he was when he was to find what Einstein found. And we could focus on Newton and Einstein as individuals, but Foucault, Foucault finds that as as less helpful um, because he sees it more as a product of their time and they just happen to be the individuals who dug into and elaborated upon those things that their experience of culture and society led them to ask questions about. Um, And I think it's really interesting how this comes up with the concept of of justice. And I don't know if you want to explore that, Mike, or if you want to come back to it. But... A lot of the debate, the second half that Mike referenced, gets then to, well, what are the imp- political implications of these views? And both Chomsky and Foucault will have issues to pick with, with Marx, but you can also see them both being heavily influenced by, by Karl Marx and class struggle. <clears throat> so Foucault argues at one point that um, it is the nature of mankind to have power struggles, and so the proletariat is going to engage in class struggle. And the question is not the justice of that cause or if justice will be better served <clears throat> by a, pro- proletarian, a, pro- a proletarian workers, basically, revolution, <clears throat> but that that power struggle <clears throat> is the nature of, uh, well, not the nature of humankind, but it's that's really what it's about. <clears throat> Chomsky really pulls back on this and says, well, we can only really say that a, a, a proletariat struggle, a working class struggle revolution would be good if it would be more just and produce a more just society. If it would only lead to more oppression, then it would be judged bad. And uh, Foucault then says, well, I believe in a class classless uh, society, justice wouldn't even necessarily be a concept that would have to be wrestled with. And here I think it's, under, it's helpful to understand um, Nietzsche's, uh, Frederick Nietzsche's influence upon Foucault <clears throat> because Nietzsche years earlier had argued that we ought not be debating good and evil but good and bad and that basically moral structures are structures that are made by the weak or the oppressed um, 
to kind of defend themselves. He to calls sh- them herd sh- morality. To shame the wise and <laughs> right. to, yeah. And he sees, Nietzsche sees democracy as um, herd morality ruling. So it's going to hold back the, <clears throat> the truly great. Um, and so when he talks about power, like when Foucault talks about power, they don't simply mean military might or political power, um, but they mean something about um, the human being not being inhibited or um, constrained, right? And so this Chomsky just can't wrap his head around and objects to again and again, and this is where they do start going back and forth, because for Chomsky, justice is a a thing. Mm-hmm. And he shows himself here as um, someone who's come from a Judeo-Christian heritage. And I would say as an American, in fact, he even, um, and I might be thinking of Chomsky, I'll admit I I like both these authors and I've read a fair amount of both. Um, But he will talk elsewhere, for instance, or or in this video perhaps, about America has these two tendencies, like because he's talking about Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And it has the tendency to imperialism, but it also has the tendency towards... um, the Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. um, an individual liberty. And these two keep each other in check. And so he says, yes, we can have something um, very unjust in his mind, like the Vietnam War, and we're not going to get into the nature of Vietnam here. <clears throat> um, but then you can also have protections for someone like himself, teaching at a college at that time that was uh, um, associated with the war effort, mm-hmm. um, and that's a very having specific, academic freedom. Yeah, there was a very specific question from the, how could you teach at MIT? That was a, Yeah, this yeah. came from a, a, student, a student, I presume it was a student in the audience. Um, but for Foucault then, here's, here's what I put in my, in my notes. Um, for Chomsky, moral progress is penetrating more deeply into our intrinsic moral values. So he says the only way a child can learn language is because, yes, there's structures in place that he has to learn for language, but there must be some intrinsic capacity in human beings for language, right? There's something that it is to be human. Um, Foucault is going to argue moral values are a product of structures um, enforced by coercive institutions. This is why, for Foucault, um, you're always criticizing power. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just criticizing overt shows of power, that is, the government. And he, he sees Chomsky as being naive for largely focusing upon the government. But all the things that we don't recognize as being structures of power. So um, think of um, PC uh, political cult or po- political correctness today, right? This comes out of this postmodern mm-hmm. recognition that language oftentimes does um, work as a reinforcement of power structures. Um, and so, if we want to talk about um, men and women, we could rightly point out that there's wim- terms used for women. <clears throat> that would never be used for men, or there's terms used for women that are, are considered to be a sign of being a bad woman that if they're used for men are a sign of being a good man. For instance, uh, someone's headstrong, well, that could mean, oh, he's a good man, he has convictions. Um, in the past, if you said a woman was headstrong, that was meant to be a put-down. Now, I am not, before we get emails, I'm not saying that's good, um, but this comes out of this recognition that it's not just the government and police and military, mm-hmm. which are coercive forces. Um, so he thinks change is changing systems, and then new morals will result, which is where moral relativism comes from, because people who've grown in different systems or with different experiences will have different morals. Chomsky will recognize that there's a diversity of s- 
morality to some extent, just as, as there's a diversity of language, but Chomsky would argue there's also boundaries to that. There's certain commonalities in all of these things that are universal um, and not just relativistic. And in, innate in, in a certain sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, innate, innate or inherent would be a good way to say it. Um, so this is why Chomsky will see things largely as a struggle for justice or truth, um, Foucault will see things ultimately as a struggle for power, not for intrinsic values. And so Foucault elsewhere will talk about regimes of truth. The system you grow up in sets the limits for the possibilities of the truth you'll pursue or discover. Um, and so Foucault with Nietzsche will say, well, concepts of justice or morality come from the, the oppressed, um, and so they might not exist in a classless society. Um, but even morality itself then can be an oppressive thing. Um, Chomsky wants to fight for a more consistent application or expression of the truth. So both Chomsky and Foucault could say fight the system, but they mean different things. Mm -hmm. um, Foucault literally means fight the system. Mm -hmm. Chomsky means try to come up with a system that does things better, and he recognizes there might be setbacks and drawbacks in that. So for Foucault, systems limit possibilities of truth because of structure and experience. Chomsky says systems should encourage deeper penetration into an exploration of truth common to all mankind and therefore better reflect justice. And all of this, it becomes a little complicated but interesting because much of this is this debate, not just this particular debate, but the overall debate um, <laughs> that we might call postmodernism versus modernism, if you want to say it that way, in the context of language. Right. And so language is a structure, right? Where does it come from? Is it reliable? Uh, does language betray us? Um, is language always a power game? And I think, you know, Chomsky would argue, yeah, there's different, uh, there's, there's going to be different languages, there's going to be different moralities, there's going to be different structures to a certain extent. But there is, as a child, who has the innate ability to take a little bit amount of data and learn a language, right? I mean, we don't teach our uh, kids uh, who are infants and toddlers grammar, right? They are able to put this together. Uh, slowly, but actually quite remarkable. And every language will yeah. develop a grammar. Yeah, and it's and it's fascinating, and 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 it really is something that's wow. And the extension of that is that there is I don't know if that Chomsky would say this or not, but that there is a conscience, that there is a is a morality, there is a right or wrong. The structures that are wrong are wrong because they're wrong, not right. because they're structures. And, and this is where justice becomes so important. To him, justice is, something's either just or unjust. And so for him, legal doesn't mean just. Mm -hmm. Just means just. And so Chomsky can't operate without some sort of inherent justice. Yeah, and, and he does make the case like very, very much so that, you know, it would be okay to stop the war machine in Vietnam because he felt that that was unjust. And so, yeah, legality and justice. Now, before we say, like, Foucault is just this wild relativist that there is no right or wrong, he's just saying without within a classless society, there would be just something so different, right? I mean, the right. whole structure would be completely different that we wouldn't even really even talking about these things. So I wonder if, 
you know, Foucault is saying, okay, you're, you're saying this is right or wrong in this particular situation, but imagine a whole nother classless society, a whole nother grid where that wouldn't even be an issue. That wouldn't even be something that we would talk about. We would have something else. So, I, I mean, I, you know where I'm going to lean. I'm going to lead towards Chomsky on this quite a bit. Um, but it is interesting to see where this comes from because I, we do have a lot of people who, well, there's white privilege. There's the structure's wrong, institutional racism. There is, uh, you know, uh, this is um, uh, heavily male-dominated or, you know, all these things that are tough tough issues in our current day really can be traced back down to these linguistic studies and debates, uh, forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies. So it is, it is helpful for us to see where it comes from and, and to be nuanced about it. Um, on both, and I say that to both sides, people who just want to throw out every structure, but then also people who don't appreciate the, um, the power that a structure can have on a society, right? right? I mean, that is something that we should talk about and not just dismiss either. Well, and that's where um, Foucault takes some issue with <clears throat> Marxism and is specifically the Soviet um, expression of it in that he says, you know, the Soviets were after ideals too, right? They they said, here are the ideals that we want. And yet through the revolution, revolution they basically enshrine things from the structure in which they came up with their revolutionary ideals. So they basically enshrined um, a bourgeois aesthetic, a, a, a bourgeois um, <clears throat> concept of uh, life, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so he kind of, you can see, he's not mocking, but he's poking fun at Chomsky of, well, all you're going to do is import all things from this structure into a new structure, mm -hmm. which will only end up reinforcing the structure. Mm -hmm. And so what I think Foucault sees as a weakness in Chomsky's approach is a, um, an ability uh, to bring meaningful change. And I think this is where you can see in post-modernity um, <clears throat> the unending need for causes, right? Um, and they'll often frame these as social justice. Now, what they mean by justice isn't always what Chomsky means by justice, but there always needs to be a new cause because you're constantly going to attack um, <clears throat> the, the mechanisms of oppression. Um, so there could come a day where Christianity becomes a minority and the postmodernists feel compelled mm -hmm. to attack that which oppresses Christian thought, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so you're dealing with a politics of truth. And so in the fight for the truth, you want to create a new politics of truth, which means rivaling the politics of truth or the regimes that are in existence. <clears throat> and so it becomes th these unending campaigns for structural change. <clears throat> what I think is helpful about Foucault um, and what I think can be helpful about postmodernity is there is something to um, needing to assess the structures, <clears throat> cultures, societies within which things were produced, <clears throat> right? Um, and we see this even in the history of science. When you study the history of science, why were people looking for the things they looked for? Why was that the pressing question they wanted to find? And why did they come to the uh, conclusions they did? And so there's a, an interesting book, um, <clears throat> Sons of Cain, I think it is, um, <clears throat> that I read last summer that looked at, if we think of the theory of evolution, we're thinking of a scientific theory, right? <clears throat> 
But it shows, um, and the book is written by someone who I mean, is convinced by the theory of evolution. It's not a, 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 a Christian book. Um, but what they're, what's argued in there is what people cho- why people chose to turn to the theory of evolution and what they found to be the implications of it was very much um, shaped by where they were, when they were, what the pressing issues of the day within that where and when were, mm-hmm. right? And so even in the realm of science, why does um, an American look for and find and discover some scientific truth? And why does someone in 2019 China do so? <clears throat> they may be investigating similar fields, let's say biology, but the reasons and the approaches and the questions that drive them to it and what they're seeking to address may be very different. And so I think even within what we might call the hard sciences, um, <clears throat> there are things that postmodernity is, is very helpful in addressing. I think it also can be very helpful um, in literary studies. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and we've done that even on the show where we have people on and we talk about Twain or we talk with Rebecca. Um, <clears throat> oh, I can't remember that author now. Gaskell. Gaskell. Um, why were they writing what they were writing? What were they seeking to address? What brought these concerns to the forefront? Well, they're in very, very many ways <clears throat> products of their time. I think it even can be helpful in theology. What was considered to be the chief uh, theological challenge of the day? Why was it considered to be the chief theological challenge of the day? What tools did they bring to bear on it? What texts did they have available to them? Um, what was their education and how was it shaped? What did it focus upon? And that's not to say that theological truth evolves. <clears throat> I'm not saying that. I will say um, that our expression of theological truth may sometimes evolve. And by that I mean, for instance, um, you may have an election controversy within Lutheranism in the 19th century that leads us to wrestle with things and express things that weren't wrestled with and expressed in the same way before. And so there's a new clarity on that doctrine mm-hmm. that maybe wasn't there before because of a historical debate about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not that the doctrine has changed, but it just, St. Augustine never wrestled with that thing in that way. And, and so we look back at Augustine and say, oh, you're so sloppy on this language. Well, he was he's dealing with a different thing. Right, and why was he dealing with it, and why did it matter? Um, I think the great weakness of Foucault's approach is, and um, Chomsky's very good. You can watch other videos on YouTube. They'll come up in your suggestions. You can read Chomsky elsewhere. Chomsky is really good at combating some of the uh, our... Uh, moral or cultural relativism, um, because he will point out, you know, like he said, um, I can't even say that's wrong. Mm-hmm. What he means by that is you haven't made, you haven't made a statement that makes sense, right? You're not, you're not right. You're not even, you're wrong. not presenting. Yeah. So I can't even get to the point of saying it's wrong. Um, but he'll, he'll point out that there's still a universality to, um, moral, rel- you're saying all morals are relative. There's still a universality to it. Um, which undermines their very attack on the universality of truth or of justice or of morality. Um, I think where we would find weaknesses with Chomsky is uh, is going to be his inherent faith in modernity, If to use modernity as a, a big-picture thing, um, because Chomsky does very much think that um, well, there's a there's a good interview elsewhere with him, and he'll say, yes, my, my faith, um, Judaism, thinks uh, homosexuality is a sin. But we've penetrated, meaning we, the West, have penetrated deeper into that truth 
And and he likes to use that to penetrate into the truth, that phrase. He, it comes up often in Chomsky. Um, we've dug deeper. And so we've, right, he sees this progress in recognition of the, of the truth. Um, well, I would say inherent in that um, is still faith, right? The secularist faith that, that we can, um, and, and here I'm not even getting at a debate on homosexuality, but the notion that, um, and I, you find this often among those who do the hard sciences, not, not people here, <clears throat> um, this inherent faith that the hard sciences will provide more than hard science. Mm-hmm. And th- this gets used all the time with the theory of evolution. A complete, um, a complete, a narrative, picture. yes, an insight into humanity, and that's why for Chomsky it, it makes so much sense for him to go. And he's a brilliant linguist. I mean, he is um, one of the big names in the history of, of of that field of linguistics. But I think it's why he can move so easily into politics, which is his second love, right? Um, because he sees an applicability that is there, and, and modernism did see. And applicability, and it had an implicit faith in the sciences, which is why postmodernity is born out of the world wars, when it's shown that all of this talk of progress and science making the world better um, led to nuclear bombs and genocide, um, and that if you divorce um, this notion of scientific um, advancement and uh, modernity's kind of uh, narrative of constant progress now for humanity, at least in the West, um, if you divorce that um, from the structures and with it exists, it can become capable of great immorality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the post-modernist, the post-modernists were right to get burned out on that. Yeah, maybe just a couple, couple notes. Um, <coughs> not just the inevitable or the, the, yeah, the inevitable progress idea of modernism, we will get better and science will get us there. There is also the impulse to answer every question, put everything into a box. And that's true of theology, right? We're going to have a complete manual for that's going to systemize all of knowledge. And, and this is true, of course. Uh, Aquinas is trying to... Right. Attempt, oh, Christianity is trying to do this again again, yeah. But in the modern way, and maybe maybe we could put dead orthodoxy in there. I think I would, at least the impulse to yep. look at every single passage and we have all the answers. And when we get into where we are now, which is postmodernism, or however you want to call it, I like you and I have both said, ah, there's some good things about postmodernity too. Um, notice in the modern period, didn't really talk about theology of the cross that much. Um, didn't really talk. Sacraments get downplayed. Yeah, all the all this stuff, and we've talked about this before, but uh, the paradoxes of Lutheranism, letting things stand. Um, uh, and the new atheists, almost all of the new atheists, um, are coming from modernity. Yeah, oh right? yeah. They're, and, they're not approaching things from a postmodernist approach. No, and 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 they were definitely uh, came onto the scene and and off the scene as quickly as they came. The the new atheists are hardly a threat, I would say, because they used these structures and they say Christianity is immoral because of this. Well, what what morality are you talking about, right? Right, and, and God and there's a failure to recognize. God is working with people in the ancient Near East that was a very different time and place. And the other thing, too, is when we look at from a Christian point of view and say, oh, postmodernism is so terrible and it's relative. Well, hold on now. To be fair, 
yeah, there's a, there's a sense of relativism, and it finally gets down to the point of practical relativism, but I think they're more saying we don't have access to this truth and morality because we, there's so many structures that are there. And so it's, to be fair, we have to uh, uh, not go take, make that easy accusation. The second thing is Foucault is as much a threat to modern science as it is to theology. Right. Um, and, and it is good for us to check ourselves and to say, um, I'm not quite sure that your structure here of in your lab, just doing your chemistry thing, right? That, um, you really are as open-minded and broad as you think you are, right? Or, or that we that, that mankind is ever capable of being completely neutral. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of things that have shown, um, studies that have shown how, how hard science, what we would consider objective scientific exper- exper- uh, experimentation, even then cannot be entirely neutral. What you choose to observe, um, why you're trying to observe it, um, what you're hoping to achieve is is all something that that the supposedly neutral observer brings in. And and I think that the payoff here is for the conservative Christian in America is to check yourself a little bit because before you wreck yourself <laughs> because you are playing this postmodern game that you claim to hate by saying that atheist scientist over there has his preconceived notions and is not what I mean. You are playing this power game right the the um the the media has this power structure they can't see outside of their structure it's corrupt all these kinds of things and so i don't i don't think that's always helpful to constantly blame science media democrats whatever um so we're infected by that as well in a good and in a bad way all at the same time right and that's why i think it's really important to talk about this and maybe even if you're interested, go back and listen to this de- debate or other debates because with some humility to say, wow, um, maybe I'm falling into one of these, the, the bad parts of these camps and, and to, to again, check yourself a little bit at the door and say, um, maybe I need to take everything captive to the mind of Christ. It, yeah, and so maybe a couple of final thoughts I'd have is, I do think Foucault and postmodernism can be helpful, as you mentioned, Mike, with uh, the new atheists and these approaches to atheism that are, um, they can't exist outside of modernity or the framework of modernity. Um, I was listening to uh, um, Richard Dawkins on Joe Rogan's podcast. He was on there recently as a new book coming out for children um, to combat indoctrination by indoctrinating them. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you mentioned, a um, new, th- new atheism in in essence um well a positive thing it does believe in a kind of universal morality it's it's, it's willing to judge even god yeah sometimes they're the, the only honest ones in the in right. the conversation yeah but the weakness of it is they are unwilling to recognize that if god comes into history and deals with people he deals with them at specific times and specific places um as you you know sometimes joke he literally has to say again and again in the Old Testament, don't have sex with animals. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that day is returning where we're going to have to <laughs> keep saying that again. But what he's dealing with in the ancient Near East is very different than what he's dealing um, with during the Pax Romana when Christ comes or with what we're, we're dealing with now. And like, the, you just say, and like you like to say, look who he has to deal with. Right. Yeah. And the other thing um, with the Dawkins or modernity, and I think even Chomsky's approach um, to God 
would be it doesn't really solve a problem of truth uh, when it comes um, to if God exists or not. What it does is it just excludes a whole realm of study, which is the metaphysical, mm-hmm. because it's not empir- empirical. Um, and, it, and in that way, it proves Foucault's argument of the limits of possibilities or regimes of truth, um, because what it wants to do, um, and really, it, it, you could even say academically, in many cases, it wants to impose a structure of coercion um, of what can be explored and considered real knowledge or truth legitimate, um, whether that be done through academia or through legislation. And to be fair, we've said that Christians will legislate as much as anyone. So this is not a um, an exculpation, right? That means to absolve, right? Maybe. Or exoneration. An exoneration of Christianity. Um, but I think Foucault can be very helpful with that. Where I think Foucault falls short is in post-modernity, it can be very hard to serve your neighbor in a meaningful way. Post-modernity can be helpful for seeing your neighbor because it tends to be pretty good at finding those who are subjects of coercion or oppression. Um, but We it's will not-, not accept the collateral damage of war and capitalism. We are acutely aware now of suffering. Right. But it, it tends not to be able to present viable answers mm-hmm. um, or um, to even see a common university universal humanity in people, which allows us to address questions in substantive ways that are not, um, you know, reduced to culture or society. Um, and so I think there's a great um, uh, weakness. And then it, it also, while in opposing tyranny, is um, perhaps... Um, given to a tyranny of its own. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that even in Foucault talking of justice and the proletariat revolution, mm-hmm. where he says, well, the proletariat revolution is makes sense because it's a struggle for power. <clears throat> it's not a question of justice. And that can become very dangerous. Um, <clears throat> and we see that. Um, I, I personally think a lot of good has come of political correctness and there's a lot of ways I think about my own speech and the ways I speak now um, that I'm glad I don't speak like I would have spoken 15 or 20 years ago. But at the same time, it's gone beyond that to a uh, policing of speech, which I think can be equally unhealthy. And I think John Chomsky would point that out um, that would run counter to the Bill of Rights. And we see that in America today um, with the dwindling numbers of people who support freedom of speech if that speech perhaps does harm. Well, if people are a speaking people, um, and speech is something that has a power that we recognize, um, it's a strong form of coercion then to limit mm-hmm. speech, whether you agree with it or not. And so it, the only way to get away from the power structures is more power. And I, I find this fascinating with... Um, and to be fair, too, last thing with that, with that, is the church can hardly claim to be without blame for having been part of what Foucault might call regimes of truth. Um, the church has done plenty of policing throughout its history, mm-hmm where it sought to win cultural influence or maybe even win souls, not by the one tool God gave it, the gospel, but through cultural and societal force and aligning itself with those institutions or with language in a way um, that was unhealthy. Yeah, and I think what's fascinating to me is the civil rights movement uh, in America, you know, right at this time, you know, a decade before this debate, is do you go down the road of which I would say MLK MLK Jr. is 
there is a right or wrong. Um, very modernist in that sense. And you sense. read his level letters to a Birmingham jail, right. and he's talking about Aquinas right. and Augustus. He's right. making appeals to universals. And and then, but you could also see a segment of the of a minority saying, "So you're going to wait for these power structures to you can change. hear the, the objections of an early Malcolm X." Yeah. yeah. So I and and so you can see an early Malcolm X and MLK Jr. I'm sure there's studies on there, but I've always thought there's got to be a book in there like contrasting these two and to be fair malcolm x later sees the weaknesses in his early approach and and so non-violence and and i don't you know i know gandhi is uh given credit for mlk jr's non-violent stance but there was something there in the beginning too like i i have a i have a higher i have a reason for my protest that is higher than just a power struggle. And and for King, he'll see God in that too, but like Chomsky, he'll also see the Bill of Rights. So really that letter to Birmingham jail, which everyone should read, and we should do an episode yeah. on that if we haven't, um, is him calling America to be more American. Right. And that's at the end of the day, whether Chomsky would say it that way too, at least in his approach to Foucault, that's what he's doing. Absolutely, yeah. So when I, when I look at this, I, I think, um, like you said, both you and I, uh, postmodernism as a critique of modernism, we go gay, probably would say asking all the right questions, but maybe not have all the right answers. Um, I do like, I, I think Chomsky today would be helpful, this particular uh, debate, by saying you shouldn't just throw out exploration of European countries. <laughs> like, that was absolutely wrong and terrible. Did they do some absolutely wrong, terrible things? Yes, um, but it's not. Never, it's never just that that was the structure, and therefore the structure was inherently bad. And so that it's just that those people did bad things, and it's just more nuanced. You shouldn't just throw out the government. And I, I always wonder, as I was listening to this debate, and and I thought about this about you know Derrida, Foucault, and and uh, uh, Lyotard, like the French kind of have a history of just throwing the whole thing out, or at least wanting to, yeah, wanting to. And then backtracking, mm-hmm. because that didn't work out, right? And so it's it's fascinating to no, me. I mean, communism even when it when uh, almost does <clears throat> communism, the Communist Party was has always been stronger in France than in many other European countries. There's always a draw, <clears throat> I would say, among the um, the French intellectuals to these to like sweeping systemic change. Yeah. And so uh, across the channel in England, you know, they have their own revolutionaries, uh, but they are not. They tend not to throw out the whole thing. And if they do throw out the king, they're like, ah, could you come back? Like really quickly. And, and there's at least guiding principles of, and Chomsky even re- um, references this, some guiding notions or principles of liberty. And and so the English look at the French often and say, gosh, they're, they're wild in this, rev- especially, of course, the French Revolution. Um, and then for America to pull from both. It is kind of interesting to see that we tend tend to lean towards more the English way of thinking right. here. Oh, definitely. And um, but obviously owe a lot to the French in our in our beginnings as well. And so it's just it, there, there is maybe Foucault is more part of a structure than he'd like to admit. And he's I, and, French, right? Yeah. And I I do think something that's helpful for us as Christians 
especially as we find ourselves um, in culture wars and in um, <clears throat> debates about what it is to be a Christian, um, I think there is something to stepping back and saying, how much of what we're identifying as our Christianity is our Christianity? Mm-hmm. Um, and how much is um, a product of the church's experience in the West? I mean, I, I think there's some very helpful things that could come out of that. I think the danger is, um, as you said earlier, when you realize when you fail to remember that the ultimate, the heart of Christianity is to be taken captive by the Word of God and not to stand over it, um, which I think would be the challenge of from both Chomsky and Foucault, um, that in the end of the day, um, we would agree with, with Chomsky and Foucault that language is incredibly important, um, but for us it's incredibly important because that word of the gospel, the same creative word that said, let there be light, and Lazarus come out, <clears throat> um, is that which takes us captive um, by faith. And and so um, the unwillingness to stand under anything else is uh, a danger from both sides. Um, it's a danger from post-modernity and it's unwillingness to recognize any, any universals. Um, but it's a danger from Chomsky's side as well in that um, he really does limit the arena of truth by um, basically dismissing anything that is not empirical uh, by doing away with the the metaphysical. I don't know that he does that entirely. Uh, Chomsky is definitely a student of the human experience. Um, <clears throat> but I think we see the weaknesses on both sides. And I, I think I'll just say as my closing thing, and you can go wherever you want, Mike, I think a debate like this is very healthy to watch. <clears throat> um, because as Christians, our temptation is to try to flee to where we find allies. <clears throat> and if you watch this at different points, you find yourself Oh, I'm, a, I'm allied with him. Wait, wait, no. Oh, that's crazy. I'm allied with him. And uh, to recognize we are both the products of modernity and post-modernity, we can't escape them. They're our experience. It shaped us in the West. Um, but to recognize as well that we have sometimes fallen back on both of them in ways that is not perhaps entirely healthy either. So reason number 344 to take more history classes uh, and more and philosophy, philosophy classes. Um, I think that that's important too. And and. The church, uh, you know, we can fall into that, right? I mean, there's an American church, there's an American experience, and the easy, low-hanging fruit that we will take is worship and say, well, if you just had a different worship style or whatever. Truth of the matter is, our our worship is what profoundly um, um, binds us together. Not that it's the only thing, but and or or the most important thing. But it's actually something quite. The history of that church is is quite. Well, it's university. It's it's Catholic in the in the best of the uh, sense. That small c, small c, and it's and we pull in stuff from all of the. It's just amazing that there's, you know, things that we share with different cultures through through this church. And so we, I don't think, at least I don't mean, when you have to check your culture and at the door and say, am I really being Christian or am I being X, Y, or Z. We, I, I, at least I don't mean, okay, if we just throw on this kind of garb and sing a different kind of song from, you know, sing Jesus loves me in Chinese, that solves the problem. No, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about something, uh, the way we think, um, the way we look at the world. Um, and, and for conservative Christians, often it is um, work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, capitalism kind of, kind of thing. 
and second have, amendment. <laughs> yeah, second, and have ignored other things. You know, on on the left side, it is ignoring quite a bit as well, right? Right. And and yeah. a lot of it has to do with emphasizing one against the other, and we're using we're taking our politics and we're sprinkling it with Jesus, and that's kind of what we mean here. Um, and 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 I think there is a rise in, and I would put us into this group too, and this goes across denominational lines, and that's young classicists, um, young confessional. I don't mean necessarily Lutheran confessions. I mean, you can be a confessional Reformed person, a confessional Roman Catholic that's looking in the history of the church and the year particular denomination's confessions and seeing what's the... You can the, be a confessional Star Wars fan. That's right. You get, and looking at uh, a mere Christianity, but even more than that, kind of looking in, in depth and stuff. And, and that rich history, that rich ecumenical history, that rich um, diverse history of the church, I think actually is quite helpful as we try to navigate these things. And uh, who knows where we're going to be 50 years from now. I think there's going to be a little bit of a correction. I'd like to think there will well, be. There inevitably will be. And um, that we are going to, we're going to see, uh, we're going to see the holes in post-modernity, but also modernity and where we're going to land. I hope it's, I hope it's somewhere there's good reason to hope that at least a, a significant, maybe not large, but significant part part of the the church, and I mean the whole church, um, will land in kind of a confessional creedal um, uh, place, yeah. and it, it will be good. And, and and a large part of that is trying to deal with these different philosophies that seem to be attacking Christianity, and some of them do, um, but they're really attacking truth and morality and questions that are from different sides, more, yeah. more universal and and as we struggle with that i think i think we'll land in a, a good place i i'm i'm kind of optimistic about the future and I, and i think we may get there i just um as a historian you know what i think i mean we'll what, screw it up right what, but, what will come before that in my view is probably a, a lot of turmoil and probably some human tragedy yeah and we're maybe in the midst of it. Because right each now. age runs its course and gets its due reward, and uh, and so I think for us to think we're above that is unfortunately. I would, I would like to on that point. Uh, you've never read Pitram Sorokin, have you? No. I'd like you to read it, and you're gonna. Well, remind me, and I will. I, you may put your nose up at it a little bit because you're an actual historian. Uh, but I, I have been using that, and I had our. At, at our seminary, I did a paper and, and made good use of him and had a uh, professor emeritus come up and say, I didn't, I didn't think anybody else had read him. And was like, I used to use that in the 70s a lot. So well, I felt pretty good yeah, about it. It would be a good episode. So Well, remind me, we'll do one. Yeah. I do think we should do one on a letter uh from the Birmingham jail too absolutely absolutely we should maybe unless we've done it we may i kind of feel like we've, maybe we we've did that mentioned one. it quite a few times i don't know that we've done a whole i think we maybe did do did one we'll um, last february could be, could we'll be. See. we did read it for if it. we did do it amy um if you could <laughs> check and see and link that in the show notes it'd be appreciated all right um i think what we all what's interesting is uh, when i look at Democrats, Republicans, when I look at someone like Foucault and, and Chomsky, you know what, there is a reoccurring theme of all humanity, and that is a desire for freedom. Unfortunately, we, um, you know, take that away, my freedom, uh, 
versus your freedom. I have to take away freedoms for you for for myself. And and I think it's frustrating and yet quite uh, wonderful to be a preacher, where you can give true freedom, uh, freedom uh, found in the gospel, and then to uh, set people free where they have nothing left to do but let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down I said, honey, honey, I don't care what